Are you ready to lighten up, tighten up, shed, and shred with plant-based protein? Antioxidant fruits, organic greens, and veggies, plus gut health? For a fraction of the cost you are already spending, this super 30-day program may support you to build muscle, burn fat, reset metabolism, lift brain fog, increase productivity, break addictions, nourish, detoxify, and cleanse. Are you ready to look and feel your best? Replace 60 organic meals for only $11 a day with live, organic, non-GMO superfood nutrition delivered right to your door. You have nothing to lose and everything to gain. Go to superfoodswithjen.com. Good morning and welcome to Success Happens. This is Jen and I have with me today somebody who is uh, well regarded in the area of American policy and has a, a great resume with working at the federal level. But before I start, I want to remind us of something. And I'm sitting here holding my Heritage Foundation, the Declaration of Independence and the Constitution of the United States that fits in my pocketbook. And I carry this with me wherever I go. And recently I was out and there was a young person. He came up and he started asking questions and he had an interest. And I said, you know what? Let me give you this. Read it many times. Because it's it's one of those things, right? That you read it once and you miss some things. You go back and you go, wow, I didn't get the point of that before. So I recommend everybody uh, consider carrying with you two declarations of independence and the constitution, one to keep and one to give, because there's always somebody who could benefit from the opportunity to read it and be reminded of what is the point. What is the point of this great nation? How did we begin this journey and why? Because I think right now we've lost sight of it. A few of us. I think there's probably a lot more, we call them patriots, but I think there's a lot more people right now who are focused on what is our our constitution, what are our rights, what is government's role, and what is it not? So today I have with me today, Doug Badger, who is an expert on policy. He's a senior fellow with the Heritage Foundation. And so welcome and good morning, Doug. Good morning. Thank you for inviting me, Jennifer. Oh my gosh. It's always a pleasure to have Heritage with us. And you all are so rich in your commitment to our country, our principles, our rights and responsibilities. And that responsibility means there's a way to do it and there's a way to not do it. And we forget sometimes the integrity that it takes to run this nation because you can't have you in the middle of it. As individuals, if we have our own interests running the show, we lose the point. We really do. And some people have seriously lost their way. And I thought it was a great time to bring you on and talking with Tom at, at Heritage. He's always a great help to me. And kind of looking at when was a good time to bring you on. And I thought, wow, this is perfect. One, because we've just celebrated Veterans Day. 
a time to honor those who have sacrificed, who have given up their time, their treasures, their talents, and sometimes their lives to serve us so that we remain free. So what better time to bring you in and say, are we doing our part to uphold the Constitution and the Declaration of Independence and our nation, our sovereignty, in light of what they gave? So I really appreciate you being here. And tell us first, Doug, what, tell us briefly about your journey. I mean, I saw that you worked in the White House. You've worked with presidents. Tell us about your career and kind of brief background. Sure, thank you. It's a, it's a long story, so I hope you guys have time, but uh, <laughs> given my age. Uh, but yeah, I mean, my, my, my first job in government goes back, uh, back in the 1980s uh, in the Reagan administration. I worked in uh, presidential messages uh, and uh, not, exactly, not exactly a glamorous job, but it was an opportunity to be part of an administration that I think accomplished great things for um, our country. I had had some background um, in, um, in, in health policy and, and, and public policy and moved from the White House to the Department of Health and Human Services, the Legislative Affairs Office. Uh, I did work there for um, an assistant secretary uh, named Dork Dorcas Hardy, who went on to become Social Security Commissioner. She brought me there. And um, I, uh, I served uh, under her at the, at the uh, Social Security Administration. Subsequently, I was at the U.S. Senate Republican Policy Committee. I was hired by uh, the late Senator Bill Armstrong um, and then his successor, uh, Don Nichols. Uh, I became staff director at the Senate Policy Committee, chief of staff then to the, um, the uh, Republican whip. Um, and eventually I served in the, in the Bush administration as a special assistant in economic policy. I was part of the, um, uh, of the group. I led the White House uh, negotiators on the Medicare Modernization Act, which created the Medicare Prescription Drug Program, health savings accounts, and, um, and other, uh, made other uh, changes to, uh, to that program. Along uh, the way, I've been a partner at Washington Council Ernst & Young, um, at the Nichols Group, which is uh, Don Nichols' uh, uh, firm. Uh, and uh, most recently, I am a, a senior fellow at the uh, Galen Institute and a senior fellow in domestic policy studies at the Heritage Foundation. Obviously, a, a life of service, you know, in, in working in government. And I, I, I do want to give a shout out to all those who work in government, because we know that you also are serving our, our nation and we thank you. What does it mean, policy? Explain to us average humans, what does policy look like? What does it mean? What is that process? Because we, we feel the effects of it. And we're going to talk about that with OSHA and some of this coming up. What does it mean to guide policy? Well, I think, first of all, I want to start with most policy is fairly non-controversial. I know that we are in a very, very divisive political environment right now. Um, but part of the reason for that is that we end up talking about the things on which we disagree, not on the things uh, on which we agree. Uh, but on those areas of, of controversy, policy making really involves digging into an issue finding out how it affects ordinary people, 
And generally speaking, there are always pluses and minuses. There are positive things it does for people, negative things it does for people, and so forth. And hold and on. Then, so, Doug, let me ask you a question. How do you weigh those? It's, it's a difficult thing. And I, I, I like the word you use, process. At the federal level, the body that is best equipped to do this is Congress. Because first, you have the people's elected representatives, uh, the men and women that we have chosen to represent us on matters of, of public policy. So they bring a diversity of viewpoints, different ideologies. They come from different places. They represent different constituencies. And the idea is that when a policy is proposed, Congress begins to dig into that. So they hold hearings, for example, that pull in people of, uh, of different points of view, some of whom have expertise in the area, others of whom represent affected industries or affected parties. They accept public comment. They debate. Uh, they have to reduce their ideas to writing. It's not enough to simply say, well, I think it would be a good thing if we made people wear masks. They have to write uh, a law and they have to go through word by word and, and debate over, uh, over those things, sort of like uh, the uh, Continental Congress, uh, the, those who wrote our and those who wrote our con uh, Constitution had to get in the room and really um, and really fight over every word. And ultimately, they, they, they have to vote. When the process is working properly, this is um, all of these different perspectives and points of view are taken into account. The House is constituted differently from the Senate. The House, of course, is apportioned according to population. So New York and California and Texas get an outsized voice. The Senate each state gets the same number of representatives. So its views are going to be different than those in the House. And the Senate also, because of its rules, is a deliberative body. I think it was Washington who said that the uh, House was the hot cup of tea and the Senate was the saucer. And uh, <laughs> because the, the custom there was to take that tea pour a little bit into the saucer so it cooled more quickly before you drank it. And, uh, and so those two branches of government balance one another. Now, we've gotten away from that. Uh, we've gotten impatient uh, with that process. And Congress has not functioned the way it was expected by the founders to function. And so what happens is in a vacuum of power, presidents and courts step in uh, and begin taking on a lot of the uh, policy roles that really have to be performed by, by Congress. I think you're pointing to a very important issue, which is people don't trust Congress. So in that process you just described so beautifully, we have that important balance. Each side carries their role and we don't trust them. So now that leaves the gate wide open for a president to come in and exceed authority or maybe inappropriately grab power and misdirect policy by using executive orders. 
And it seems to me that this has become a practice that is dangerous. We've seen the devolution of that on and the impact of it on our country. So I want to leave us with think about that. You know, executive orders, when you go outside of that process, you're saying, I know better than you, and I'm going to get it done because you can't. And then here we are wondering what's going on with our country. You're listening to Success Happens. This is Jen. I want to thank our sponsors, Sweeties on the Creek. We're scooping now. And also KW Photography and Design. We'll be right back. Are you ready to lighten up, tighten up, shed, and shred with plant-based protein? Antioxidant fruits, organic greens and veggies, plus gut health? For a fraction of the cost you are already spending, this super 30-day program may support you to build muscle, burn fat, reset metabolism, lift brain fog, increase productivity, break addictions, nourish, detoxify, and cleanse. Are you ready to look and feel your best? Replace 60 organic meals for only $11 a day with live, organic, non-GMO superfood nutrition delivered right to your door. You have nothing to lose and everything to gain. Go to superfoodswithjen.com. Welcome back to Success Happens. This is Jen, and I have with me today Doug Badger, who is a senior fellow with the Heritage Foundation. Doug, it is such a pleasure to have you with us. I was talking before the break and we were discussing that process and this idea of exceeding authority. At this point, I think most Americans feel like government has stopped representing us and started dictating to us. What do you want to say about that just from where you sit about this government, quote, overreach? Well, I think it takes two forms, Jennifer, and one uh, is understanding that, again, under the Constitution, the federal government has only the powers that are enumerated in the Constitution, only the powers that the Constitution directly gives it, and the rest is reserved to the people and the states. Secondly, and and more directly to this issue of what are the relative powers of the president, Congress, and the courts, the president is the chief executive of one branch of the federal government. When the president issues an executive order, it's not a royal decree. It's a directive to his subordinates to do something, and they can only do things that are consistent with the law. Uh, The executive branch agencies, whichever they are, whether it's Health and Human Services or the Labor Department or the Treasury Department, has only the authority that Congress has granted it by law. So that when a president issues an executive order telling, uh, you know, use the uh, case of the vaccine mandates, telling the Occupational Safety and Health Administration, OSHA, part of the Labor Department, to require uh, employees to wear masks, Uh, The question that that arises is, where in the statute has Congress given OSHA that authority? And that question, as we can talk in a little bit later, is now before the courts to judge 
uh, does OSHA actually have that authority? So when we get impatient with Congress, because it's too divisive, it moves too slowly, right now uh, has very low and very low approval ratings, we get impatient with them uh, and presidents begin to exert authority that are proper, that is uh, properly within uh, the, the uh, legislative branch, we get into some real problems and some real resentments uh, and some real divisions uh, among people who take different points of view because they don't believe that their voices are, are being heard, uh, which is precisely why we have a Congress uh, to allow these diverse points of view uh, to be expressed and for, for elected representatives to fight it out. So in the absence of laws, Doug, it seems to me that, you know, in uncharted waters like we've been with uh, this concerning medical reality that we've all gone through, I don't know what to call it anymore other than, you know, it was scary at times. And then I think we all came to the conclusion that there's been some politics played in the process. But in the absence of laws, you use the example of masks. There's a whole lot of controversy around the health of masks that they can cause pneumonia. I had a friend of mine go through that. The infection that can come from breathing your own, you know, bacteria or whatnot. So now they've imposed this, you must be masked. And for some people who have asthma or other health-related issues, it's not appropriate. But they've exceeded that authority. So how do we, just dealing with masks for right now before we go to vaccines, what is the point of having these representatives who are experts in creating laws because they go through the process you beautifully outlined, if we indeed are forced by somebody sitting in the White House who says, I want you to do it my way. I mean, that's dictatorial. It's not the American way. So how do we get out of this uh, mess we're in? Because it seems like we've gone down a slippery slope and we're at the bottom. Well, yeah, we, we have gotten a little off the path. And, and, and look, you mentioned the pandemic. And part of what's happened there is that we have uh, public health officials and other uh, public officials, not only at the federal level, but also at the state and local level saying, look, this is an emergency. We can't do things the regular way. We have to take shortcuts. We have to take end runs uh, because, uh, because this, uh, this crisis demands it. And there, I think we've, uh, we've, we've maybe lost our way uh, uh, just a little bit. Now, I want to make a sharp distinction between the authority of the president and the federal uh, government in general versus the power of, of state and, and local officials, because they're, they, they exist in two different worlds. Our individual rights and liberties exist in both spheres, but the authority, the so-called police power, is allocated a little bit differently. And uh, there may be county officials and, and state officials and school officials that have that authority under state law and state constitution. The problem is that if these things um, come across to people as dictatorial, as poorly grounded in the evidence, 
then you start to get resentments and people become unwilling to cooperate even with measures that common sense measures that that actually do make them uh, make them safer and actually do protect them. And the issue becomes arguing over whether you agree or you like this particular uh, public figure, uh, not over what is the right thing to do. So we've gotten a little bit unbalanced. We've gone from a, a mindset that says we have certain liberties and government can restrict them only under certain circumstances uh, to saying, well, uh, we only have the liberties the government gives us right now because you know there's a pandemic. And so we can't um, uh, do the sorts of things we, we used to be able to do. And uh, we, we have to listen to these uh, and abide by these government restrictions. So we've gotten ourselves a little, a little bit off kilter as this passes, uh, you know, we recover our, our basic sensibilities and our equilibrium. So I want to point to something because I think most people, and I learned this working in government, and I did not understand it before, that there are laws, legislation, rules, regulation, policy. All of these exist in different domains and constructs. So when we talk about OSHA, for example, the agency or EPA or IRS in their domain has certain authority granted to them so that they then don't have to mm, ask permission sometimes to do things, or they're not even necessarily instructed. And you could even say in the local state level here in Maryland, the health department has been deputized to impose certain restrictions and fines on businesses and individuals that seems to be politically driven. Let's go to OSHA. Let's help, help us understand where legislation leaves off and agency power picks up. OSHA is a great example because Congress created it in the early 1970s and said, look, you're, this is the agency that has authority over workplace safety issues. So pure, poorly lighted or ventilated areas, improperly stored chemicals, personal protective equipments like uh, hard hats and, and uh, goggles and so forth. This is what OSHA concentrates on. And by and large, OSHA, like every other agency, lives under something called the Administrative Procedures Act, which says, look, if you're going to make a major rule, a rule that affects a lot of people or imposes a certain amount of costs on industry, before you can do that, you have to publish your proposed rule and solicit comment from the public. So people in affected industries, ordinary people, everybody weighs in on what they think of your idea. Uh, at the conclusion, you publish the final rule, but in what's called the preamble, you respond to all of those comments. And obviously you group them together. If nine or 10 people make the same point, you respond to that point, not to each commenter but you explain why you either agree with them, disagree with them, uh, but, but you have to have a rational basis, a reason for doing what you're doing. 
And only after that period of time, and it usually takes months, sometimes years to conclude the process, can you then put that rule into effect? Now, even at that point, the issue arises of, okay, wait a second, does OSHA really have the authority to issue that rule? Uh, and at that point, of course, you can get lawsuits and so forth. There are litigation against rules uh, that, that agencies issue. But the bottom line is OSHA can only do the things that Congress has specifically authorized it to do and uh, that by and large, and there's one large exception that we can talk about, they can't do that unless they've taken the time to hear from the people who are affected by that rulemaking. Did the proper process uh, happen with regard to the vaccine uh, and OSHA to make sure that that public comment process was honored, okay? You're listening to Success Happens. I have with me today Doug Badger, who's senior fellow with the Heritage Foundation and an expert on public policy. And of course, we are in the midst of the impositions of that on our lives every day. I'd like to thank our sponsors, KW Photography and Design does a beautiful job with photography and graphic design and website building. Also, I'd like to thank Flamingo Pool Supply. We'll be right back. Are you ready to lighten up, tighten up, shed, and shred with plant-based protein, antioxidant fruits, organic greens, and veggies, plus gut health? For a fraction of the cost you are already spending, this super 30-day program may support you to build muscle, burn fat, reset metabolism, lift brain fog, increase productivity, break addictions, nourish, detoxify, and cleanse. Are you ready to look and feel your best? Replace 60 organic meals for only $11 a day with live, organic, non-GMO superfood nutrition delivered right to your door. You have nothing to lose and everything to gain. Go to superfoodswithjen.com. Welcome back to Success Happens. This is Jen, and I have with me today Doug Badger, who's a senior fellow with the Heritage Foundation and expert on public policy. And Doug, it's just wonderful to hear you really clearly and precisely outline this for us, because I think as humans, we don't really know all that goes on, uh, and yet we live with the impact of it every day. Could you please go back to the question, did OSHA properly get public comment input in the area of the vaccination is my understanding that that's still um, in question. Yeah, there, there are a couple of, a couple of things there uh, to unpack. First of all, the status of the, uh, of the rule, it was published in the Federal Register on November 5th. Uh, and as of uh, 30 days after that, uh, December uh, 5th, 5th is a Sunday, so it may be on the 6th or 7th. Most of uh, employers with at least 100 workers will have to apply this rule, um, which means that they have to have a written policy uh, as to uh, vaccines, whether it's a mandate or whether they're going to give unvaccinated workers the option to wear masks and be tested. They have to explain that to their employees. They have to collect the vaccination status, so the CDC cards and other evidence of vaccination, 
They have to uh, collect all of that. They have to create uh, individual records for each person stating their vaccination status, uh, which are available uh, to OSHA on, a, on an expedited basis whenever they request it. And beginning on that date, unvaccinated uh, workers have to wear masks in the workplace. Now, 30 days after that, on January 4, in addition to wearing a mask, unvaccinated workers will have to submit weekly COVID-19 tests. Uh, the rule does not require employers to pay for those tests. Uh, so essentially, it's up to the employees unless they have a union agreement or some other thing in place that makes the employer pay for it. And every week they have to present a negative test or they are removed from the, from the workplace. So that is a, kind of a summary of where that, of, of what the, the regulation says. Now that agency action, of course, has been challenged in the court. The first court that took it up was the Fifth Circuit in, in uh, Louisiana, and they issued an emergency stay, a temporary stay that says, wait a minute, OSHA, you can't do this. And, and what was the basis of them saying you can't do this? What did they say they had exceeded their authority on? What they said is that the uh, the plaintiffs uh, had raised grave constitutional and statutory uh, concerns about the uh, about this uh, emergency action by OSHA, and as a consequence, the court said we need to put we need to stop this. Uh, until we can uh, hear these uh, these concerns actually argued back and forth and make a determination. Uh, government now has filed a response brief and the uh, circuit court will make a decision soon as to whether to extend it, make it permanent uh, pending argument, uh, or actually allow the regulation to move forward. So on a condition of 0.003 death rate with supposedly once we got to 70%, we were at herd immunity and the vaccine is supposed to protect those who are vaccinated and the ones who are most vulnerable supposedly in this theory are those who are unvaccinated. However, we are seeing a huge onslaught of people who have been vaccinated getting sick with COVID begs the question, you know, as my husband would say, is it all that in a ham sandwich? So my concern is at what point is it not a thing? I mean, it, it, there's trying to say it's still a thing, but it's really not a thing. It's, you know, it's something that's under control. And by the way, we know that the PCR tests were flawed. So here they are imposing a, a flawed test. Now, supposedly after December, all of a sudden, miraculously, they won't be flawed anymore, which is kind of interesting and begs the question again, is this politically driven? I want to kind of pivot to Fauci because to me, it is shocking that this man is still employed. And I think a lot of people feel that way. There's a movement to have him fired because apparently he's not going to go of his own volition. So, you know, we may just have to boost him out of there. But how do we take control back of, of the health policy issues? Because you have somebody there who's been on again, off again, wonky, wear a mask, don't wear a mask, wear three. So how do we get control of this, Doug? 
Well, I think there are a, a couple of things, and this is something I, I think regardless of your political party or ideology and so forth, um, we really have to reset our understanding of what government is and and how it's supposed to work, and particularly with respect to the uh, the, the federal government. Uh, we, you mentioned at the top of the show the Constitution again. There are things on which we as Americans, and you can go back before our founding, um, matters on which we disagree and disagree, in some cases, actually violently. Um, And so we need a way to uh, sort these issues out in an orderly way that allows everyone's uh, voice to be heard. Um, You know, Congress has its antecedents in what's called a parliament. Uh, Parliament, uh, you know, parlez-vous Francais, uh, it comes from the word talk. And the idea is that when these different factions had their disagreements, instead of fighting it out in a violent way, they would talk it out in a, uh, under, under certain rules and under certain proceedings. And, and gradually this evolved and, and in our system, We have popularly elected uh, senators, popularly elected representatives, and uh, they are in Congress, that is, in a a place where they they meet on an equal level. They're They're supposed to talk this out. We've gotten to the point where we are viewing the president as the guy who decides, and we attach ourselves to one public figure or another, whether it's Dr. Fauci or Um, you know, some of the others who have had a very prominent voice in this. And we decide we like that guy. So we think everyone should do what he says, or we can't stand that guy. So we're going to ignore him when, when he talks. And the idea is that that guy um, who does occupy a a position of uh, high responsibility within the National Institutes of Health has only the authority that Congress has given to that uh, that institution um, and whatever it is he says, whatever it is he declares, whatever you think of what he says or declares, um, he is not the final word on those policies. And, Although uh, he, I forgive me for interrupting, but he acts like he is. He acts <laughs> like he is, and I want to. We're going to take a quick break, but I want to just remind us that Congress said there shall not be any gain-of-function research. And our dear Dr. Fauci found ways around that mandate, that dictate, there shall not be, and he did it anyway. And it's disgusting. This is Jennifer on Success Happens. I have with me today Doug Badger, senior fellow from the Heritage Foundation. We'll be right back. Are you ready to lighten up? Tighten up, shed, and shred with plant-based protein. Antioxidant fruits, organic greens, and veggies, plus gut health, for a fraction of the cost you are already spending. This super 30-day program may support you to build muscle, burn fat, reset metabolism, lift brain fog, increase productivity, break addictions, nourish detoxify and cleanse are you ready to look and feel your best 
Replace 60 organic meals for only $11 a day with live, organic, non-GMO superfood nutrition delivered right to your door. You have nothing to lose and everything to gain. Go to superfoodswithjen.com. Welcome back to Success Happens. This is Jen, and I have with me today Doug Badger, Senior Fellow with the Heritage Foundation. Doug, this has just been a really insightful conversation, I think, for so many people to understand, kind of getting a view into your world and how it works. As we wrap up here, you know, we've got the vaccine that is controversial. There is a high degree of concern. You guys got to go to my Facebook page because they will never send my information to you. I'm being shadow banned. So if you want the content that I'm putting out there from experts, you need to go to my wall and check it out. Okay. And scroll through it. But there's, there's one that lists numerous negative impact outcomes from the vaccine uh, where people are literally dying within days of getting the vaccine or serious, serious health consequences that they will live with for the rest of their lives. Somebody said to me the other day, and this is a friend, he's got a storied career in government as well. And he said, well, the numbers are such that, you know, you're going to see a high degree of, you know, negative impacts. I don't think, I think we're over 600,000 in negative impacts. Uh, I think that they're underreporting the number of deaths attributed to the vaccine. The SARS vaccine, we know they stopped when there were just, you know, hundreds of deaths and negative outcomes, and yet they continue this thing. Doug, at what point is enough enough? And they let, let the natural health and immunity of the body take over. Well, you're pulling me a little out of my death. My daughter is a molecular biologist, so she could talk more intelligently to these issues. But on the issue of natural immunity, it, it is intriguing that the CDC is sort of an outlier in not uh, recognizing the value of it. Uh, my wife and I spent some time in Italy this summer. We're very fortunate to do that. They have what they call vaccine passports. Um, and so to sit inside at a restaurant, to go to some certain widely attended events, concerts, movies, et cetera, uh, you, you have to show this little QR code on, on your phone. And it's interesting to get that vaccine passport. You've either got to be vaccinated or have a, some documentation that you recovered from COVID-19 over the past six months. So natural immunity is not some controversial concept, uh, you know, that, um, uh, that or fringe view that uh, some of the government officials make it out to be. It is, as you say, a thing. It is real. Uh, we do develop uh, a natural immunity to uh, diseases from which we re recover. Uh, you know, as with the vaccines, there are questions, how long does this immunity last? How robust is it? Et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But it is immunity uh, and our bodies are, are capable of doing it. And so why that's become so controversial in, in this country and so utterly and um, dismissively rejected by the CDC and other public health agencies, including now OSHA, that 
Now, OSHA knows nothing about natural immunity or about these kinds of things. They're no more expert on that than I am, but they've declared natural immunity doesn't work. How does OSHA know that? No one gave them that authority, and they certainly don't have the expertise uh, to, to make that decision. But somehow it's, it's as though everybody's um, shunned the theory that public health officials in other developed countries absolutely accept as true. Well, and if you look at socialist nations, and, and listen, I've been saying for well over a year that we are on track for communism, not socialism. We bypassed socialism long ago. My family, I've told the listeners, is from Sweden. My mom's Swedish. So, you know, in Sweden and, and so forth, they're over it. You know, I mean, we're here we are hanging on to something, hanging on to it like, um, you know, a bad suit. And I talk to people all the time. I go out and they'll say, oh, I'm so over it. Everybody's so over it except for the politicians who want to keep it in place. To wrap up, and I just really thank you, and I thank the Heritage Foundation. I really request that people listening support the Heritage Foundation. Go to their website, donate to them. Your funds help them have people like Doug be available to us to talk about the issues and to inform us. Uh, So really thank the Heritage Foundation for the great work that you do. We talk about the power to the people, restoring the power to the people. How do we get the balance back? Because we are at a precipice right now that we're just about to, some people think we've probably gone off the cliff already. What do we do to pull this back and become the constitutional republic that we were supposed to be? Well, it's a, it's, it's, it's a difficult process. And, um, I I will say that I I honestly think both political parties have have sort of lost their way on this. When they get their person uh, in the Oval Office, uh, they want him uh, to do the kinds of things that uh, enact kinds of policies that they support. And they don't have the patience with with Congress. Um, We really need to recover our sense of uh, the fact that we are, as you say, a constitutional republic, that any power the government has derives from the constitution and that the rights and liberties we have are God-given. They are precedent to any power the government has. And so it's obvious that to live in a society, we do need laws. We do need certain restrictions on our liberty. We do have rights. And as you say, we also have obligations and all of that has to be reflected. But the Constitution puts a hedge around all of those government powers. They can do certain things, yes, but they also have to follow certain processes to do it. A president is not a king. A president cannot legislate. That is only a a prerogative reserved to the Congress. Courts are not policymaking entities. They are there to adjudicate controversies, cases and controversies between litigants and make decisions in, in those cases. They're not to say, well, we think this would be, we think it would be a great idea if abortions were available on demand, and so we're going to decree it. 
that that's not their role. And we as voters have to begin to understand that we need to be patient with the process. We need to try to elect members to Congress who reflect our views. And we need to understand that even if we really, really like what a president is proposing to do, that we can't support it uh, unless the president has explicit authority under the Constitution to take those steps. I really appreciate your time and bringing your talents and abilities to bear to help us understand what to do next, because I think a lot of us are at a loss and we're feeling helpless a little bit. But there is a light at the end of the tunnel, and I want to give a shout out to those parents in Loudoun County. You showed us a way to stand up. And Lee Dundas, who I've had the pleasure of meeting, and a human rights attorney, and she is fighting this fight. And she has said, stand up. We have to stand up to the tyranny that's going on right now in some cases. It's not all, but there are people who have taken it upon themselves to run things as they wish without our authority given to them. So we need to get control of this. I really appreciate the people who are out there standing up and and, uh, holding the signs and marching and whatever it is you're doing to be heard. It's so important. You're getting involved. And I really appreciate that about everyone. All right, listen, everybody, you're listening to Success Happens. You can listen to this podcast and share it from Success Happens page on WFMD.com. Go to WFMD.com backslash success happens and share this podcast because people need to know this information so they can be informed and make good decisions for where we're going as a country. God bless you, Doug Badger from Heritage Foundation. Thank you, Heritage. It's great to be with you guys. And we will talk next week, Saturday morning at 9 a.m. right here on Free Talk 930 WFMD.